because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him again if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for what our ears have heard. Father, we thank you for Vanessa and sharing with us a powerful ministry uh, to those who have special needs. We all have special needs. Father, I pray that you would give us a, not only a compassion, but God, that you would equip us as a church. You said, my people perish because of the lack of knowledge. Father, this is a church that loves your word. This is a church that wants to serve. This is a church that wants to be taught. So, Father, we want to learn how to effectively minister to those who are being overlooked. Father God, I pray that we would look at your entire creation the way that you do. You said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, Father, no matter how that may appear to those who look at the outward appearance, we know that you look at the heart. May we see what you see. And may you give us the capabilities as we would intentionally inform ourselves how to be difference makers in the world that you have placed us. And we want to become everything to everybody to reach them for Jesus Christ. We pray this in his matchless name. The church said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. On June the 11th, at 6.20 a.m., something unimaginable occurred in Philadelphia. A tanker carrying 8,500 gallons of gasoline exploded under a bridge on I-95 near Cotman Avenue, flipping over and exploding into a massive ball of fire. The heat was so intense that it literally burned away the beams. And within an hour or two, the entire multi-billion dollar bridge (laughs) crumbled to the ground. Now, What makes the destruction of this section of highway so devastating is that some 160,000 people crossed that northbound I-95 sector on a daily basis. Some one million drivers use that route annually. I-95 is a corridor that is responsible for some $200 billion in commerce between 17 states that are connected through that route. Now, to rebuild that segment, section of the highway that was destroyed, uh, it is estimated that it could take months. They, they're going to do something that's kind of temporary, uh, and it looks like that in three weeks the, the, the bridge will be uh, in usable 
uh, form. Now, in addition to the $2 billion commerce from surrounding states, there are smaller businesses in the area around I-95 North whose lifeblood is dependent upon the supplies that are delivered to them as well as the patrons that frequent their businesses. Now, while it is understandable that most people would focus on the cost and the devastation in terms of the inconveniences that are now forced on us, I had uh, preached in Philadelphia last Sunday night, and what should have taken me 49 minutes took me an hour and 50 minutes. And there are a lot of people who are placed in a position now where you got to do things uh, very differently, adjust to, to uh, get to your, work, your place of work and, and where you live. But out of all of those things that transpired and just the, the devastation of that, what caught my attention most of all were the words of the cousin of the driver of that tanker named Nathaniel, uh, uh, Nathaniel um, Moody, thank you, who was killed while driving that truck. Now, everything else that I talked about, the cost of the bridge, it could, it could cost up to a billion dollars to, to fully restore it. Millions of dollars may be lost. People are inconvenienced. Everything that reference that I've referenced is, is replaceable. The only thing that mattered most on that day is that Nathaniel Moody lost his life. But what distinguished him from just another guy driving a truck were the words from the mouth of his cousin. He said that Nate was a great husband the father of three, an excellent driver, one of the top truckers in his field. He had a perfect driving record. And he lived by the trucker's oath that said, always come home to your family at the end of your shift. But all the positive things that were said about Nate, Nathaniel Moody, the thing that stood out to me most was the cousin said, he was my friend. He was my best friend. Is there anybody that could say that of you as a male when describing what you have meant to them in your relationships in the world? Could they say these kinds of specific things but more importantly, are there men who can say that you are their friend? I want you to know that there are many men who will go to their graves and have gone to their graves who have been very responsible. And they have a great resume of the things that they accomplished in, by way of being responsible to their duties. But those same men, and I've stood at the beds, I've seen thousands of people die in 19 years of being a chaplain. Literally thousands of people die. And it often is 
heartbreaking to me as I hear those who are gathered around the beds of men that their husbands, their brothers, their fathers go to their graves as total strangers to the world. We need man ships. We need meaningful relationships that, are, that extend beyond the surface, that are unconditional in our devotion, that allow us to be transparent and feel accepted as we give mutual support. Biblical friends who have manships, the Bible uses the term kindred spirit. These are individuals who don't just like each other, but they love each other in the Lord. Men can love other men and not be shady. Or weak. We have grown up in a world that says, men don't say they love men. Jesus said on many occasions, I love. By this, he actually said, by this, men will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Jesus had no problem making his love for the 12 men that he was discipling, even though one of them was a devil. What men call what man, and as I've already said, what man can call you friend? In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, the scripture says, a man who has friends must himself show himself to be friendly. But there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Of course, we know that's Jesus. But if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself to be friendly. Now, I just want to share four, four quick four things with you about the need for these manships, these relationships within the body of Christ that go beyond a class that we have on Sunday, that go beyond a, a Sunday morning worship service, that you know that at a 3 o'clock, in a 3 o'clock hour, if, there, in the, if it's in the morning or in the afternoon, and you have a crisis, that you can pick up the telephone and that friend who has kindred spirit with you will not only talk with you, but they will make themselves available. Now, the first thing that I want to say about manships that we need, brothers, and I'm going to be sharing some things that are kind of man kinds of things that some of you ladies need to know. If you want to know about a man, don't ask a woman. <laughs> ask a man. If you want to raise a man, Get a man to help you to do it, because you can't raise a man. No more than a man can raise a woman. I don't care what they say. You're going to mess up. Amen. We're trying to raise up men to be half the man you are. You know, you aren't supposed to be half of the no man. Let me, look at Let me move on. About to get myself in trouble. Mm. The first thing is this. God designed men for deep, meaningful relationships, but we do not naturally pursue or cultivate them. We were designed for manships, but we do not naturally pursue them or cultivate them. In fact, in, the, in, in Genesis, after God had created everything, the first time God said it is not good is when he 
finished creating man, he said in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And then he added, I will create for him and help me that is compatible. Now, when the Lord said that, he wasn't saying universally that being alone can only, that need can only be met or corrected when you are in a marriage relationship. Companionship is a human need. God created us to have fellowship with him. And we who were created by God were the only creation that did not have a companion compatible to us. For some of us, that will mean marriage. But for many, the companionship that we need will simply mean having relationships with others who can love us and we can love them back. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, watch the progression of the, in terms of the sequence of how the story of, of uh, how men were created for relationship by God, but we do not naturally pursue them or cultivate them. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the first thing that God did, the Bible says he put Adam in the garden, and he says, this is your assignment. I want you to cultivate this garden. I want you to take care of it. I want you to to tend to the the garden. He gave Adam a job. That's the first thing that he did. And then he later says, it is not good that man should be alone. What's, What's important about that is Adam felt complete and content working alone, accomplishing his assignment. Adam was cool working in the garden. He wasn't looking for Eve. He wasn't looking for relationship. He was totally fine and was satisfied at the end of a workday to say that what I was assigned, the task that I was supposed to do, I completed it. And that was fulfilling to Adam. Now, let me, let me share. I'm going to break that down by giving you four examples of what I mean, and that men are... By, are designed by God for relationships, for manship, but don't naturally pursue them or cultivate them. And here's what that means. Men are primarily transactional rather than relational. I didn't curse at you. Let me, let me, let me, let me share some examples of what I did. Life for many men is viewed as a series of assignments to be accomplished and completed. We look at life, what do I have to do next? Did it. What do I have to do now? Did it. And we're cool if we did it. So transactional means we got the job done. We fulfilled our duty. Men tend to focus more on results than romance. And by that, I mean the question that we're asking, uh, excuse me, she says, we need to talk. We need to talk. That's relational. Transactional is, where is this leading? How long is this going to be? What have I done now? I thought everything was fine. We tend to focus on results, romance, let's get to business, we can take care of this. Uh, All right, Mm mm-hmm. Emotions are secondary to getting the desired results. 
Have you ever noticed how hard it is to get a man to relax? Everybody's out at the picnic, or you at the you, you at the uh, you, you at the uh, amusement park, and everybody's on the rides, and the brothers just—it's like we're always on duty. We are perpetual cops. <laughs> we just have inherently the need to protect, to be on guard, to watch out for, and because we're transactional, we we can't ever. It's hard for us to separate and just really let our hair down. Anybody ever notice that? Just to get the brother to relax. He's all right. We don't have to do anything. Success in life is based on what you have achieved rather than affections for who you accomplished it with. You don't have to feel any kind of way about how you got there and who you got there with. What makes you feel complete, what makes you feel like you have accomplished something is you completed the task. And so men can be very unemotional. We can be very, we can do compartmentalize. We put this, we can file things away. And revisit it, and, 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 and so we and function like it, it never, nothing ever happened. Let's just do this right now. What do you mean? We can't just do it. We got to deal with what's going on. What do you mean, what's going on? Men don't need to attach meaning to feelings to what makes them feel good. We don't have to attach feelings to it. It's just the, the good is that we did it. I'm not going to, I we, and, and, the, and the, what we, the inspiration is that now we've conquered something. Every time Adam ended his day working in the garden, he felt successful. Adam felt like any man wants to feel, I've accomplished this, mission accomplished, I'm good. I'm good. We are transactional. One of the things that triggers men and would-be husbands is when women say, I don't feel, fill in the blank, loved. The husband thinks to himself, look at all the nice things. I got for you, or in some instances, look at all the nice things you got for us. <laughs> and then our go-to is, I'm still here. You got me. I come home after a hard day. I come home to you every day. What do you mean you don't feel love? I'm a hard-working black man. And so we get triggered when you say you don't feel love because we, we, we define our expressions to love by what we've done and what we've accomplished and the material things that our family has benefited from. Somebody say amen. amen. The boyfriend says, I held your hand for 10 minutes, watched your favorite girl movie for an hour, and I even paid for your meal. What you mean I don't love you? Why we got to hold in for 11 minutes? What's wrong with 10 minutes? 
Unfortunately, the brother is focusing on the assignment rather than developing a deeper affection for his wife or his girlfriend. We good if we did what we supposed to do. We design for relationship, but we don't pursue them or cultivate them. God had to tell Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. He had to turn the light on that brother. And it, and, and, and it had to go beyond him just revealing to Adam as he caused him to go into a deep sleep. He had to bring this fine sister to Adam, and then it was like, oh, my God, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I got to have this. He didn't realize that he had to have it until the Lord turned the light on. Adam would have never become all he could have been without that relationship that he didn't know he needed, without that intimacy that is so not only important to a woman, but there's a part of us, the Bible says that women were made in our image and in the image of God, we were both made. We both have a need for intimacy, to be into me, you see. I borrowed that. <laughs> you got to come to Bible study to get that. Now, two of the quickest ways to push a man away and to shut him down is to minimize his efforts to succeed, to improve, to accomplish something. If you minimize, I don't care if he just opened the door for you. If you don't, you make that, oh, anybody could open the door for me. Anybody could have done that. If he made an effort to do it and you minimize it, you will shut that brother down and you will push him away. The second thing that will shut a man down and push him away is disrespect. By disrespecting him, by berating him for what he has not accomplished. And sometimes what he has not accomplished is what you expected from him, not what he necessarily needed to do. You had expectations, and the expectations were nonverbal, and somehow that man is supposed to be God because, because God is omniscient. He knows everything, and a brother is supposed to know that you needed him to do this or that, and if he didn't know, then you get upset and you disregard what he did try to do and ultimately it becomes disrespectful because as a man said, woman came to him, she had like, she had three pages typed, single space, of all the things she did to her, for her husband. He brought him to a female counselor. He said, this man just doesn't appreciate me. He, I, I don't know what else to do. And I tell you what, I could have done a lot better than this guy. And the way he's he, he responding to all the things that I do. And then the, 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 the female counselor read through all she wrote. And then she took a big red marker, and she made an X across every page. And the woman looked at her, and then she took a blue ink pen, and she wrote, respect. The one thing you don't have on this paper is what a man wants most, is to be respected. If you don't respect the man, you don't, we don't feel loved unless you respect us. The worst thing a woman can ever say to a man is, man up. Man up. What does that mean? <laughs> don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that to your husband. Don't say that to a man. You don't know what that even means. 
that's just an insult. That's like telling a woman, woman up. What, how in the world is a man going to tell you to woman up? He know what a woman's supposed to be? Absolutely not. And so we have, we've been created for relationships, but we don't even know that we need them. And when we are in them, because the assignment is when you're this age, you're supposed to get married. And when you this, uh, and at this point in your life, you're supposed to have children, you're supposed to have a house. These assignments, we're checking them off. But then God is the one who turns the light on for Adam. Men must learn the importance of manship. And that's exactly what God did. Let me also share another thing. Men flee manship relationships that require spiritual accountability. The scripture says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, how can you, can you walk together with somebody you don't agree with? How can two walk together unless they agree? First, uh, uh, first, Chronicles chapter, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, be not deceived. Evil associations corrupt good manners, good morals. There's, so there are men who say, I got me. Like, I'm tight with all my boys and we get along. But what happens is when your relationship with your boys transitions from being worldly to spiritual, all of a sudden those relationships dissolve. How many relationships do you have with godly men, with spiritual men? How many people are you involved with that you call your friends that can challenge you from the word of God? If you are growing spiritually, you are not going to be able to maintain healthy relationships with unsaved people because the Bible says, the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, say the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. God says you are in the world, but not to be of the world. So you are either influencing them. Are they influencing you? You are either being led by them or you're leading them, but you're not leading Christ. So one of the things, again, when, when a man says, I got a lot of friends. I used to have all kinds of friends before I got saved, but they were unsaved. And they were unable to hold me accountable spiritually. And so if all of your friends don't know the Lord and they're not growing, then you're not going to grow. And what they're talking about will not be the things that are pleasing to God. They will not be the things that will lead you and make you closer to God. They will draw you away from God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have associations and that you shouldn't try, try to lead your, but your primary objective in those relationships should not just be wilding out with your friends. It should be, how can I show them that you can still have a great time and, and, lo and love Jesus? One of the things that happens when a man finally makes a commitment and he's in marriage, he gets married, all of a sudden he doesn't have friends. The same friends are no longer your close associates because you have transitioned from the life of being single and in many instances a life that had nothing to do with Christ and now you recognize that if I'm going to be a good husband, if I'm going to be a good wife, and then there's the other thing. If, I believe if you're a man and you do not have the gift of sexual purity, you should be married. The Bible scripture says it's better to get married than to what? Than to burn in lust. And so there should be a lot of men hanging around men who are married so that you can know how to be married and not how to just lay with women. 
Oh, it's kind of quiet up in here. Real friends will challenge you spiritually. And if you don't have those kind of people in your lives, they're just your buddies. And they are not allowing you to become everything that God wants to release to you because God is not going to to make available to you your full potential while you are associating with that which is against the program and purposes of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, one of the hardest things for me when I was a new, I was, I wanted to be a Christian. I wanted to love, love the Lord like other people that I saw. And so I joined the church, and I told you last week, I didn't join for the right reasons. Don't look at me like that. No, I didn't. There were some pretty sisters up in that church. But I decided, I, I just couldn't imagine giving up my friends. And so I would go to church on, every other week I would flip. I would go to church one Sunday and miss it to be with my friends the opposite Sunday. The exit. And so I kept doing that. And so one Sunday I decided to stay away from church, and I was right across from, this was the crazy part. I was standing across the street from the church in the summertime. They have an air I'm looking in the church, leaning over a light post, looking into the service, and my buddies and I were getting ready to go out to play football. And all of a sudden, my friends just start running. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, well, what are they running for? We're supposed to be going that way to the park. They're running back towards 30th and Dolphin Street. And then when I turned around, somebody said, you better run, so-and-so. You better run, so-and-so. And this guy had a shotgun, a shotgun pointed at my back. A rival gang had snuck down from 32nd and Norris Street through the schoolyard, and my friends saw them, and they took off running, and I'm just standing. That guy literally got behind me with a shotgun and told me, but I ain't running. I started jogging. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. When I finally caught up to my friends, I said, why didn't you tell me? Oh, we thought you saw it. Did you see, man? That was so funny. Oh, man, they, I had to run. I jumped behind. They, it, was a, it was funny to them. I'm only alive today by the grace of God. And when I think about that, this, I have friends who were murdered as a result of gang warfare. I should be dead. But the Lord spared me. But he, it, took all, it took that for me to break off that relationship with people who really weren't my friends. The Lord said, I will show you, I will give you true friends. But I nearly lost my life hanging around with people who had no interest in the things of God. Men were created for relationships, but we don't pursue them or cultivate them naturally. We will flee from spiritual relationships when we're not walking with the Lord. You don't have to guess about the Bible. So you shall know them by their fruits. Are the people that you associate with, love? do they love Jesus or don't they? Are there conversations about things that honor God or are those conversations dishonoring the God? Are you more comfortable with people that are unsaved than you are with Christians? And if so, the problem ain't Jesus, it's you. It's you. Because the closer you get to the Lord, the more you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
So the first thing is that God created us for relationships. We just need to learn how to pursue and cultivate them. Secondly, God uses spiritual manships to help us to reach our full potential. We're all familiar with this verse. It says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. The friction of conflict that occurs within close, meaningful relationships bring out our best. I had a buddy, whenever the pastor preached about marriage, he stayed away for the, it was a six-week series. He wasn't coming to church. He didn't want to hear anything about his marriage. He thought of his wife. He said, she's a Canaanite. He called me and said, he said, the Philistines are upon me. <laughs> and you know what? He was right. She was a Philistine. But she was his wife. And so I had a decision to make when he decided that he was going to be unspiritual by staying away and not receiving the word of God. I had a decision. Am I going to go in? And man, we would have it out. I had to use every homiletical and interpretation, hermeneutical skill to get this brother just to understand what the Bible says about loving our wives like Christ loved the church. And it, it, boy, it would wear me out. But then the Holy Spirit would use that conflict and that friction, iron sharpening iron and the friction of the controversy and the disagreements based on the word of God. And what the Lord would do was bring him under conviction. And he would see the error of his way and he would make the last two weeks. <laughs> but he became my closest friend because I was willing to spiritually duke it out with him. You can't get close to people that you, that you, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you're not prepared to challenge somebody that you call your friend, you don't have a friendship. I know you have 500 followers on your, 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 your Facebook and your Twitter account. They ain't your friends. By the way, Men don't like to talk on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Anybody? Come on, I may be wrong. We may have to talk on the telephone. I do that kind of for a living, but how many men like to talk on the telephone? Come on now. Are you okay? We got okay. Praise the Lord. Okay, 50 50. I give me the text. I'll, I'll, now, when it gets serious, I'll pick up the phone. But that, that's just, a, that's just a, a sidebar there. Here's a second thing. Friction, the conflict helps to help relationships, meaningful relationships to get the best out of it. The fruit of manships are personally beneficial. Listen to what the scripture says. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Manships make it easier for two people to succeed. He said two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. If you're in a relationship and the only one person is benefiting, that ain't a friendship. We call that exploitation. We call it a lot of other things, but if this is that two are able to produce more and both 
parties succeed. If you are in a relationship where you are giving far more than you're getting, that isn't a healthy friendship either. And this is one of the things that women get so wrong. Stop allowing, you don't, yeah, you can do a whole lot of things. Let that man do. Sometimes you do so much for the man, he has no reason to be in your life. Let him treat, all right, this ain't no, uh, this is male chauvin. Okay, call it what you want. But you get less from a man that you, that you lower your standards and allow them to do nothing for you. If your relationship, if you do not, if I don't, I don't, let me, let me, let me, let me run on. I don't know how many people in the ministry, this is, this is, this actually breaks my heart. Because this is my, my, I want, I believe that God put me on this planet to help people reach their full potential in Christ. I really believe that. I have, God has given me favor, and I don't know how many people that I've directed to jobs, directed to relationships, directed to marriages, directed to in, in elevations and improvement in their life, but I don't, I, I can count on my one hand the people that are even in ministry that will share anything. They'll let you pay for lunch. They'll let you tell them everything that your church has. You, they will take everything your church has to offer. They will offer you nothing. I believe that the reason the Lord blesses us is so that we can bless others, not keep it to ourselves. We cannot have a crab-in-the-basket mentality when it comes to helping each other become everything that we can be in Jesus. If God blessed you, share it. Well, if they know my sources, then they won't be my sources anymore. That's not how God works. The, the more I give, the more he gives to me. But I'm not even giving out of the spirit of what am I going to get back? Because I already got it back because the Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. I get a blessing out of the giving. Don't conceal resources that can bless someone to become all that they can be. The Lord put you in that room that others haven't gotten into so that you can tell them that room exists. It's a possibility. We're so stingy as a people. I watched, I was at, uh, this is at uh, Walmart. It's just all the immigrants. Where did they come from? Where are they living? I'm not mad. Because what I see, and I work with people, they will take their family that they haven't seen for 50 years. They'll take them in. They got 50 people. They will take 50 people in, and we won't take one person in. And they will struggle to make sure everybody has something to eat, and we wonder when they're going to leave so they won't ask for anything to eat. And then we wonder why aren't we successful as a people? It's because we only see beyond our noses. Man should make restoration possible. He says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls and no one is around, he is in trouble. Uh, restoration is easier when you are involved in a manship, when you are involved in a relationship. 
When somebody falls or when you begin to slip, somebody can say, hey, bro, you need to change that conversation. Hey, bro, you don't need to be hanging around with that. Hey, bro, you need to just, just get rid of that phone number. It's hard to restore people that you have not invested in. There are women and people struggling in our church. It is one thing to assign, and I can assign some folks because I, I know what their testimony has been. And anybody that's been in this church has been able to watch their faithfulness, et cetera. But if you don't pour into a person's life, it's going to be very difficult for you to go back and say, you need to do this and you need to do that. It's easier to, to, to get positive results, to restore. And the goal is to restore when somebody... When you wanna, one of the things that happens when a man has walked away from God and it's drifting because of sin in his life, all of a sudden, you can't reach them. You don't see them at church. They're not responding to your texts. And we can say it's a whole bunch of things, but usually that's a red flag that they're not walking with God. Amen. Now, how would you know that? It's because you know them. <laughs> but how are you going to know them? Because you invest time in building relationships with brothers that you are walking with. Manships help you restore, help restoration be more likely. How many people who have wrecked their marriages, wrecked their families, who, when you look back at it, if you ever asked yourself the question, what could I have done? What could I have said? Were there signs that I ignored? Was I too busy completing my assignment that the assignment became more important than the person that I was assigned to help? Manships help to sustain spiritual passion. He says, likewise, Two people lying close to one another can keep each other warm. This is the idea. Yeah, yes, it's, if you're cold, it's nice to have somebody. Uh, ain't no man going to be snuggled up with another man. But we're going to apply this. And, and so that the heat of passion, staying on fire for God, stirring up one another's gifts, that's easier when you are in relation. I lost uh, like 15 pounds when I was walking with my buddy. But when I had to walk by myself, it just seemed like, it, eh, I don't know, I'll do it tomorrow, maybe, maybe next week. And next week became a month, and a month again, and all those pounds just found their way right back to my hip, my, waist, my waistline. One of the ways to continue to maintain a fire and a fervency and a zeal for the Lord is to be in touch with brothers who love Jesus. You will remain warm. You will remain on fire if you don't have any fire, maybe because no one has ever struck a match. In order for a match to be struck, it has to be something outside of you. Manships provide physical and spiritual protection. It says a man standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can, can, can stand back to back and conquer. We, we, it's, we used to think about this. I, we go to these places. You got my back. Yeah, you got my back. I got your back. So we would go places that we would never even attempt to go unless we knew that if we had to fight, somebody was going to be there to fight. Most of the time, they were fight meant flight. <laughs> as soon as you got to where you were going, the people that said they would be there, they were gone. But in relationships, you know 
that there are people who you've gotten close to, brothers, who will stand with you, who will walk through difficult times with you, who will tell you what you need to hear and will actually, if need be, physically protect you. Let me run through some characteristics that, you, that God would have us to know about manship. Let me give you some quick characteristics. Do you want to know those? Yeah. How do you know if you have a kind of male, a male relationship that God is pleased with? First of all, manships are supernatural in origin. God brings those kind of people into your life. When you get a chance, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, God brought Jonathan into David's life. God will bring a Jonathan into your life. God will bring a Paul into your life. Manship strengthening over time. He says that the hearts of Jonathan and David were knitted together. Relationships take time to develop. They strengthen over time. Manships are sacrificial. David and Jonathan were willing to die for each other. When you go through their story, Jonathan demonstrated and David showed how much they were willing to sacrifice by the things that they gave to each other. Manship seek the best interests, and there's no jealousy. One of the things that is hard for us sometimes is for men not to be competitive and comparing ourselves with other men and defining ourselves, again, by our, what we can accomplish. How, when we were younger was how physically strong we were. I was the fastest. You know, he was the strongest. He, he could jump the highest. And then you, you move into the category, who lives in the biggest house, who drives the best car, who makes the most money. You know, we're very competitive. Uh, and we can, like women, a woman can look at you and know everything you have on, the perfume, the cologne, and you never even know she looked. When brothers walk in the room, we, we, we scope it. We scope it. And we don't know how to just quickly. Now, we don't do that at our church. Of course, we don't know how to do that. But, <laughs> but men will size each other up. And, and in fact, somebody will kill you because you looked at them wrong. That, that's how crazy that can be. But. One of the things that will be true when you have a godly friendship is that the brother will not be jealous of you. Amen. They will not be competing with you. They will be, they will be your co-laborer to help you become all that you can be. Let me just run on to how, I want to close out with this. How can you become the kind of man that is known by a manship, by a godly, by a godly friendship? First of all, let me say this. Ask God to give you a friend. I'm finding, as I've gotten older, that my sons are becoming my friends. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. 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 We talk about everything. Amen. All the stuff they did wrong. <laughs> now, seriously, there's a transparency with my sons uh, that I have. So my, my friends are becoming my, my, my boys. Uh, so you can have a son as a friend. Uh, I would also say that there ought to be someone other than your son and your family that, that you can call friend. Accept your differences and challenge each other to grow in the Lord. Challenge each other. One of the things that is so important in relationships with men, men have to be challenged. 
we have to be challenged. So if you're in a relationship and you can never, someone will never admit that they're wrong, will never accept that they, that, that, that they, they need to change, that relationship is going to be stunted. But if, you, if, if it's a godly relationship, that person will allow you to speak into their life truth. Somebody say amen. amen. Allow yourself to be transparent and accountable. A man that wants to be, have friends have to be, has to be friendly. Are there people that you can be totally honest with? It's important because as men, we don't think we need it. But in order for layers of what God has concealed from you and keeps you from seeing, those layers aren't coming off until there's iron sharpening you. I think every man needs a spiritual father. Who is sharpening you? Who is challenging you to deeper, deeper love for your wife, a deeper spiritual commitment to your family? Who is helping you to see things that you would have never considered? That's what God will do through, 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 through relationship. Admit when you're wrong, and I've already kind of alluded to that. A man needs to, somebody say, somebody say, Men need to admit when they're wrong. It's not the lack of not. It doesn't mean that you're less than a man if you say, you know what? I got this wrong. I really didn't know what I was talking about. And you were right. And we can do it your way. We can actually use the GPS. I'm not going to depend on my memory. If we get out of this, if we get out of this water this time, I will definitely. <laughs> I am more convinced than ever that the greatest thing that men need now is meaningful relationships. There is a, a concerted demonic attack on men. Today, Amen. there is a hatred for men, manhood. And when you watch the depiction of what men are described as, many of the programs that we enjoy the most are the ones who are most humiliating towards men. And so the way we are, we can, we can just put on blinders. We're going to just get it done. We're not going to worry about it. But at the same time, the trick of the devil is to get us so locked in to, do, to, to making the donuts that we fail to realize that God had still called us to lead. God has still called us to be warriors. God has still called us to be priests and prophets and providers and protectors. And the only way that that's going to happen if we decide, you know what, I'm not just going to be superficially involved. I want God to give me someone in my life that can call me friend, and I can call them friend. And I'm not talking about some drinking buddy. I ain't talking about somebody you can, can, can do some joint with. I ain't talking about that kind of buddy. I'm talking about somebody who can pray with you, who can take you to this word. And help you to become all that God wants you. Would you stand? I was shocked when I heard about the man who had been dead for three years in his apartment in Texas. 
and nobody knew it. The only reason they knew he was dead is because the fluids from his body began to seep through the floor into the apartment beneath his. And the tenants there thought there was a plumbing problem. His mother had been trying to find him for three years, but she, he was a traveling, he was a, he was a, he was a, um, a Navy veteran, a decorated veteran. He had a prominent job where he traveled the world, so that's why she would lose contact with him. But he was dead for three years, and they found him on the floor with his remote in his hand. How could that happen? It could happen because the way we is as men, we can still feel good and complete as long as we're working, as long as we're paying our bills, as long as we're staying out of trouble, but that is not what God designed us for. There's much more. So my challenge for each of you brothers today is that you will decide that I am going to, I'm not going to be a police officer all the time. I'm going to learn how to actually relax. I'm going to actually allow God to bring a man in my life that will be able to tell me the truth about me and I about them. I am not going to leave this world as a mystery. And I don't care, brothers, what has happened between you and your children. Don't give up on your sons. Make a commitment that you're going to keep, keep that door open, that you're going to continue to reach out because they need what God created us to have. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, manships needed. Lord, I thank you for every man that is here. And we praise you, O oh God, for what you have said today. Amen. As you stand before the Lord right now, my question with your head bowed and all eyes closed. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if you gain the entire world, but you lose your soul. What is more important than your soul? I want you to know until you have a right relationship with the Lord, that first relationship is starting with him. You will never be content. You will never have fulfillment. Because true satisfaction starts with having a right relationship with the person who created you. And so what you've, missed, what you've been longing for, what you're missing, is just the prayer way. The Bible says, Christ speaking, said, if you open the door of your heart, I'm knocking right now. And I, I, what I'm saying to you, let me in and I will come in, and we will have kindred spirit. We will have fellowship, relationship one with another. If you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, but you want him to be your Lord and Savior because he died for you, and you want to receive him, would you raise your hand right now? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand right now? I tell you what, I wouldn't know. I don't know how anybody today in the world that we live in 
comfortably lives without having a relationship with Christ. We're surrounded. We're surrounded by evil. Is there one that would say yes to Christ? Is there one? Is there one? I'm going to ask all the men to come to the altar right now. Ask all the men to come.